Hi, good evening. I always am so excited when I come on here because I never know if there's going to be listeners that have been with me the week before. So who's ever listening tonight, it is such a pleasure to be here with you and certainly a pleasure to be with my guest tonight. So I'm Dr. George Andow, and you are joining us on a journey through into awareness. And I have a very special guest tonight, a incredible woman that wrote a book by the name of A Hundred Pennies. I have a copy here. And we came to each other through a mutual friend who, um, beautiful woman by the name of Nancy, who, when I was doing my internship in spiritual direction, she was my um, intern, directee. And I knew her for years before. And she introduced me to Gaetan Martin. And this woman has such an incredible testimony of the depth of love, faith, honor, patience, and forgiveness. And it's really my honor to have her here tonight. So, Gaetan Matan. Gaetan, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, you're an incredible woman, and it's such a pleasure to be with you. So, you know, your book, it says so much, and I, I really thank you for it. And there's no question from your book that God touched you at a very young age and continued to guide you through all the different stages in your life. Um, so why a hundred pennies? Can you talk a little bit about your life generously? You, you're so generous in what you share. Thank you. Thank you, Georgia. And thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I, um, I wanted to write this book. One of the reason was it was because there was an injustice that was done, a great injustice to this little girl, which was me, and also to all the other little girls and boys that have had the the same kind of life that I had through abuse. Um, I always felt that children should never have to, to live an invisible life. You become invisible, you don't have a voice. And that families came a family of abuse hunger now 100 pennies as a story to it how that came to being the title of my book i was six years old and i um i was sitting in front of this little grocery store i lived in this very small little village and it was two grocery stores at the time i sat there and i was trying in my little mind to figure out how people bought food. Why? Because that, I had no food. I was very hungry. So I started to count. One. And everything you say is so important. I want you to try to speak a little louder, if you can. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, Just speak I, a little louder. Okay. All right. Thank you. So oh, you're welcome. So I, I was counting in French because I was starting school and I was counting to 100 and I counted, well, if I had 100 pennies, I would be rich and I could eat. 
And then I would look around and I would say, if I wasn't so shy, I would ask 100 big people for one penny each and I really would be rich and I could eat and I could have new shoes because my shoes had holes in them. That's how 100 pennies came to being my title. It's my hunger, the hunger part of my life, my brother and I. We're very hungry. We were not a little hungry. That was not some days there was no food at all. This beautiful woman that I see now, again, as God's grace, my brother and I, we used to go and sit in her kitchen lunchtime every time we would smell food cooking. And she would never, ever ask anything. We would not ask her anything. She literally would feed my brother and I. And then feed her family. We would leave and we would be full until the next time. So you were born in Canada. You were brought up in Canada in a very small town. And you had, uh, there were six, there were nine children. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, and it was you and your brother that were fed by this woman because there wasn't enough food and there was extreme poverty. Yes. We live very, very poor, very poor. Uh, at the time, there was only four children. My mother had, that was my sister, my brother, and only four. And then later on, my mother had five children, one after the other. So that's how we became nine children in our family. The last five children, my siblings, they didn't go hungry. But my all four, first four of us, we did. We didn't have any, any food. What was going on there? Where was your father? Can you talk about that? Where my father? Yeah, sorry. No, please. My father, my father of two sides to my life. My father was um, a lumberjack, an alcoholic, periodic alcoholic. He he didn't write or read. He um, he was illiterate. He was very, very poor. And his family lived in American cigarettes. That's how they lived. My, my, that's was, and my father came from an incestuous family. So he brought that into our lives. So I was sexually abused by him. Yes. There's always repeat. Whatever we're brought up around. Yes. We bring into our lives unless it's unless it can be healed, unless it's healed, which like yours is. Um, but your dad's obviously wasn't, and he he made you the subject of that abuse, correct? Yeah, my father was very violent, he had been also very abused as a child. Later on, obviously, through my, my journey, I got to see that. More follow that pattern, more violent, and uh, yeah, he beat up, he beat up my mother, he beat up everybody. He didn't work much, that's why we had nothing to eat. And but he was a hunter, he used to hunt deer and uh, wildlife. And uh, when we did have food, a lot of times that's what we ate, my mother would cook that. With no spices, believe me, nothing, you know, just that kind of food. Okay, Tim, what I found amazing um, in in what I've read in your book, 
was that your father would announce to everyone that he was going to go out drinking. He would binge. He would come home. He was enraged. He would look to beat up your mother, be cursing, looking for her. She would hide. Everyone, all the children, yourself, your mom were terrorized. Your father would pass out, sleep. And then the next morning, everyone would get up and go and eat together like nothing happened. It was really quite, it was really quite something. You know, you can see so much the dysfunction I, there. I, and how I your, mom, your mom obviously felt mm-hmm. uh, like a prisoner of her life that she couldn't get out. You were um, having some I, technical I difficulties I here. I think that we're having some audio problems because I'm yes. missing a lot of works. Now you're frozen. Yes. So and you're, I'm missing words. I can't answer. Yes. Gee, I wonder um, what to do with this. Um, okay, so I'm hearing that, um, can you, okay, I'm hearing that um, your internet is a little unstable, so you should probably disconnect and come back in again. Can you hear me? Now I can. Now it's okay. So we're going to go on a break and then come back. And in the meantime, Gatan, you're going to disconnect from the radio station and show, shut it down and come back on and try that. Okay. I just changed the, uh, the, the network now and it's going to work. Okay. I I don't know. I was just told by audio to have you shut down completely and come back on. Okay. All right then. Okay. Sorry, everyone. We'll be right back. We're going to take a break. Thank you. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military, politics, all around what makes a great leader. 
the personal experiences of what's worked and maybe more importantly what hasn't worked. So that's seven o'clock every Thursday evening. The mind behind leadership here on talkradio.nyc listening to real stories of real leaders. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Welcome back. I'm Dr. George Andow. This is a journey through into awareness. And we're here tonight with our guest, Gaetan Martin. And we're sorry about the audio glitch we had, but I think we're back and I think we've gotten, we've uh, rectified it. So Gaetan, we were talking about um, uh, you being born in Canada, nine children in the first part of the family's life. There were uh, not all nine of you. There were three or four of you. And um, dad, being an alcoholic, would binge, come home angry, rageful, would look to pick fights, um, was sexually abusive to you. And um, the next morning, after all of this went on, everyone would have breakfast together like there was nothing wrong. You see, that is that. That is the most traumatic out of everything that goes on for there to be no talk of, no awareness of in the outer world within the family of this dysfunction that is so incredibly difficult. And yet um, this was all part of um, of your experience. Um, So can you talk a little bit more about um, this, I'm going to just sit back now and let you tell your story. Yes. Um, Thank of you. Course, of course, we lived, I lived and we did domestic violence to my father. Like you said before, he would warn us that he would go get drunk and it'd be our fault because we were shit, real shit, you know. And uh, so he would go out and come back and uh, he would go after my mother all the time to beat her. This particular time, that's in my introduction, when you talk about he, he went out, she went to hide and then he was downstairs and we were all upstairs and he never used to come upstairs. Never. When he was drunk like this, it was uh, to kill my mother. He was always going to kill her and we lived with guns all the time there were guns they were hunters but there were guns and we lived at the end of that barrel my mother and all of us you see such a such incredible terror that you lived with and you know it's interesting because your father i mean all of this is so much self-hate because if your father really wanted to kill her he would have oh and he told her you know that he told her, so with that story, that particular story that night, he decides, I have my siblings in this bed. We're all huddled together. 
Now I'm 16 years old at the time. And he decides he comes upstairs because we would always be aware of that, that he may come upstairs. He's coming upstairs. You were the oldest? Yes. Well, my oldest sister didn't live with us because he used to beat her up. She was five years old and she went to live with grandma. So I became. His his mother? Yeah, yeah, no, my mom's mother. Your mom's mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're this night. So he comes upstairs, and uh, now he's in, and he's in rage. We hear his footstep, and so he comes to the door at his bedroom. The kids are all under the blanket, and he looks at me, and he said, "Where the fuck is she?" So I didn't want to say I didn't know. I just said that she wasn't there, and because I, if I said that. He would have kept on looking, right? If you don't tell me where she is, I'm going to kill you. For the first time, I believed him. He's standing there, rageful. And I turn and I see this gun in his hand. Say that again? I said, I turned and I looked at him and he had a gun. And he was going to kill me now because I wasn't telling him. And I wasn't going to give her up. I... I just closed my eyes, and that night, that night, I said, oh, God, I'm 16, and I'm going to die tonight. Please, please. And I turned totally to God, and I said, please, help us here. For some reason, my eyes were closed, and I hear something, and I opened my eyes, and he turned around and left us. So the next day, of course... My mother gets up, we get up, she's cooking his breakfast. And like nothing happened. And so we live like that. This that that was the one time. There's so many other times. Nobody talked about it ever. And this was go on and on and on. This man in his mental illness, in his crazy craziness. He did everything he wanted to do to all of us, all nine of us. And he made my mother do anything because he told my mother she did leave him a few times. And he'd say, you leave me. My mother told us at the end of her life, she said, he told me if I left, he was going to kill me, all of you and kill himself. And he would have. And she believed that. And so we live like that. Yeah. And, you know, the generations back then. Mm-hmm. It was very, very, because I saw a picture in the book, in your book of your mother at 66, mm-hmm. which is pretty much our age. Yes. And your mother mm-hmm. looked so aged and worn out. Oh, in those good. days, it was unheard of that a woman left a man. It was quite yep. unusual because what would she do? Right. How would she support herself? And my, my mother was educated. She came from a, a pretty well-to-do family. These people were educated. He wasn't. Were mommy and daddy's, uh, were, were, was your mother's parents alcoholic? No. My my grandfather was. Your Her mother's father. father. Yeah. Yeah. I used yeah, to, I, yeah. There's my, always a repeat unless unless they yeah. do the work. But my, again, yeah. in, those a, in that age of development of human consciousness, only movie stars went for therapy. Yes. Or, yes. or or you were totally mentally ill, and right. then they would institutionalize you. Right. So my mother, she, my mother had been brought up 
totally, completely different from this. I used to call my grandfather, her father, a high-class alcoholic. And my father's family, the low-class alcoholic. And he was the high-class alky because of that uh, they lived. They were very religious. They were very Catholic. You know, I got my a lot, a lot of my uh, faith through this grandmother that was angry all the time, my mother's mother. And uh, yeah, my mother was, she grew up and she was not equipped to live a life like this. She didn't know what to do. My mother was a very sweet, kind, loving, gentle human being that had to become a whole lot of the stuff that he made her do because he was going to kill her. It was just, it just, there was no out of this. You know, I was sexually abused by him. I was his favorite. I was groomed by him. I was three years old. Talk about children being invisible. I believe my father loved me. I believe that everybody's dad loved them that way. Sure. You know, and, and so, you know, living poverty, Shame, going to school, not not having any soap to take a bath, not even have tooth, toothpaste to brush your teeth. Teachers telling you to go home, you stink. How the heck? Are you? And my grandmother on my mother's side, they were like the beautiful people, and we looked, you know, we were so poor. We're dirt poor, you know. Grandma and grandpa, your mother's parents, they mm-hmm. didn't provide any financial help or sustenance. They did did for a while. They did for a while. But there was this was a bottomless pit there. That was, you know, these people could have given every single thing in the world that they had. It would have never been enough. And these two people eventually would have had nothing. And we still would have had nothing, you know. And uh, so very, very early child. Little girl, I was very happy little girl. I love my mom. I love my dad, so I thought, you know. Um, as the years went by, the domestic violence got worse. And, you know, and uh, my mom, Christmas time is still to this day, will always will be because to me, my mom, she used to, uh, uh, she loved Jesus. She loved the nativity. She, I remember she used to tell us all the, you, all the names of all the the kings and all that, and 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 I and taught us to pray. And uh, she was she was a, a kind, beautiful woman. Mommy know? still alive? No, no, she died. She was only sixty seven, but she, yeah, she, she. Um, so that was my very child in school in first grade. Oh my God, I was like, this was the. The most beautiful time in my life. The nuns loved me. Oh, the nun loves me and loved me. And I was always one of the top students and had the Medal of Honor. And, you know, and I was I was noticed. I was not invisible in school. Sure. Yeah. And so these were the early years, the Christmas, my brother, um, you know, my mom, even my dad in those days, he was not as crazy as time went by. He was, you know, but his mom was mentally ill. So he, him between the, the alcohol and everything. So, you know, this was like the very, very young childhood, you know, up until I was, I would say like 14 years old, I would say, and things got worse, of course, you know, and there were like times. And again, I had a faith. I used to see mom cry, I used to run to that little church every day, sit there 
in front of that blessed mother statue and say, please, please, please make mommy stop crying. Please make mommy stop crying. Make all of that bad stuff stop. You know, I knew all of this was wrong. That life, I was that young. I knew that life was wrong. And so, yeah, until I was about 11, I would say, I, and then at 11, you know, things started to happen where I had pivotal things started to happen in my life. Say and that again. Pivotal, at 11? Yeah, at 11, I spent the summer with my mother's sister and my uncle, a beautiful man. Uh, I love him so much. Anyway, he's passed away. That summer, I spent with them and uh, they lived up north in Canada and um and my uncle, he had a little girl, and she was only a year old, and uh, I noticed how he was treating her. He didn't treat her the way my father did. He didn't take her secret places. He didn't, you know, he would, I would, like, kind of look around what he did with her. He would hold her, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't do anything my father did. So you were able to see a contrast. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. something inside, again, something inside, I knew, oh boy, this is really wrong. Oh boy, what am I going to do? Oh, and this was like um, a knowing. I had no words for it, but I knew this was bad. I went home at the end of the summer and then I... Um, you know, I, I was so scared of him. All of a sudden, I was very, very scared of him because I knew what he was going to do. And he did. I was, he came to me. I was crying, and he comes to comfort me, and I knew what he was going to do. And so for the first time ever, I disassociated. Now, for the people that don't know what disassociating is, it, the not being there. Right. You, you make it go away because you can't, you know, and that happens with children and people of trauma. This kind of yes, trauma, correct. And it was easy for yeah. you to do because you were brought up feeling invisible. Yeah. So it was easier right. for you uh-huh. to uh, learn to do that for yourself. Right. Um, and that continued this disassociation. Yes, that's right. And it was a tool that I used that at the time, thank goodness, that saved my sanity. But uh, you asked me what he did to me. I didn't know. I didn't remember. That's what disassociating means. You're not there. In right. my therapy, oh my God, years later, when I, when this beautiful woman worked with me and she, she tried to tell me what this was and I couldn't, you know, it was so difficult. So, to, sure. but over the years, obviously, you know, to this day, disassociating, that's what I did, you see. And uh, so that's, I was 11. And then from 11 to 14, now I have friends, I love people. Yeah. That's a we. Uh, th- that's a very very good point um, that you just brought up. That whatever we're brought up around, how we handle it as children, mm-hmm. saved us. It saves us. Mm-hmm. We don't judge ourselves with it. It saved us. The opportunity is with that woundedness to become aware of it as an adult so that it can be worked on to be healed so that you're not still using the same tool with the trauma back then 
in your contemporary life, even if something similar is happening in your continued contemporary life. You worked it through enough where you're not using the same defense to handle your wound. Mm -hmm. That's very, very important. So we don't make ourselves wrong for whatever way we taught ourselves to deal with our trauma as children, but we work on it enough to be free of it in our adult life. Very, very important piece. Very, very important piece. And um, we're going to be to be taking a break in one minute. Um, but I'm sure that you've had many, many years of treatment for yes. you to be able to get to the other side of this. Yes. Because I know that you are a, a, a holy woman and, um, you know, I look forward to everyone um, hearing from you about your spiritual journey in the center of all of this. Mm. Thank you, Getan. So we're here tonight with Getan Martin and um, Dr. George Andow, and this is a journey through, and we'll be right back. Thank you so much. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. You know you have it. The potential for a more rewarding life. A life that matters. But how do you get there? The answer is in a best-selling book by the coach of the successful and wealthy, Ken D. Foster. The Courage to Change Everything. Daily Strategies and Wisdom to Awaken Your Hidden Genius and Transform Your Life. With this powerful yet amazingly simple daily guide, your future is in your hands. You will be empowered to unlock your potential, bring out your true gifts, increase your wealth, and take your life and business to a new level. Get your life-transforming copy of Ken D. Foster's The Courage to Change Everything by going to couragetochange.us. That's couragetochange.us. Quite frankly, there's no other book like this. Imagine what your life could be like if you had at your fingertips the success principles to create the life you've always wanted. Are you ready to live your dream? Go to couragetochange.us. Are you a curious person, always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So Now You Know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day.
Welcome back to A Journey Through with Dr. George Andow and Gaetan Martin. I love saying your name. It's such a great name. <laughs> I love it. It's really beautiful. So, um, you know, it's amazing what God does with trauma. It's amazing what God does with pain if we bring God into it. So I know, um, you know, from your book that um, all of this, that you found your way uh, through all of this uh, into forgiveness. And certainly uh, there's no way that you could have done that on your own without your relationship with God. Um, So it's really um, something I, whenever you're ready, I'd love to hear more about that. I I have to say, from the very beginning of my life, I always knew this. This was very, very clear that there was another life. Uh, there was no one that could have ever changed my mind about that. No matter what happened, I would pick myself up, and I knew I was going to this other life. I uh, my faith, What do you mean by other life? You mean from transcending from... Mm-hmm. From here, this earth plane, or you mean from what you were brought up in mm-hmm. to another life here on the earth plane? From what I knew that I had to break that generational curse or what darkness that had yeah. happened. And I knew this was all I could all I could do this when I was a little girl. I could I knew that there was this other life that would be a good life. It would not be domestic violence. It would be love, a life of love. How in the world I was going to find that? Well, that was another, that's another story, right? But I did because I'm living it today. I, I'm going to go back a little bit to, especially like pivotal times at 14, and I'm going to make it like at, at 11 and then at 14, what happened? At 14 years old, uh, my mother came to my mother was sick, actually. Now, all these other children were being born, except my my last brother. And she they took me out of school. Now, that was to me taking my heart out of my body because I knew at 10 years old, actually, something had happened. I knew inside that an education was going to save me save my life, get me out of there. That would be my way out of there. Well, at 14, it was taken away. Every single thing of my life, everything throughout my life was taken away by these people. So comes that time, priest comes to the house, says to my, said to my mother, you cannot take this child out of school like this. She's intelligent. You can't do this before she's 16. My mother said, I need her. The word need to this day is difficult for me to need, right? So my mother came to me and said, Gitan, now there was four in diapers or whatever. If you don't stay here and help me be with these kids, they were all going to the orphanage oh. or they will be going to their uh, wow. to their godparents. Now wow. here what an amazing burden. To place on you at such a young age or any age. Yes. You didn't bear these children. Oh no. my goodness, Gaten. Yeah. So then my thought to make myself again, again, that very loving place inside 
okay, I, I fell apart inside and then I got myself up. And I believe this is all God strengthened me. I cannot never deny that. So I pick up again and I say, okay, oh, this is horrible. But my siblings, those siblings will not go hungry. I will feed them. I Not like my me and my brother, you know, they're not going to be hungry. Now, here I am. I'm taking this on, taking care of my mother. He's drinking. He's doing whatever he's doing. Now, by that time, with bootlegging, we have guys all over this house saying all kinds of comments about my body. I was a teenager. I mean, you know. So I stayed there. A year or so later, we opened this little canteen. It's in my book. I have a smile on because that canteen was fantastic for me because all of my friends, my Canadian friends that are listening to me tonight that I love with all my heart to this day, my angels behind the scene, they didn't know. Again, these are all people yes. that God had put in my life. Yes, without my, question. My, but all of them, a whole bunch of them are same age, right? They would come to that canteen every night. Every, without a jute box, the Beatles, we carried on. We had so much fun. My friend Andrea, oh my gosh, she's to write my book. I know she's listening, you know. God, did we laugh. But they didn't know what was happening to me after they left. That I was being sexually abused by him. That I was being abused by him. They didn't know that. I never told anybody. Why do you think you kept it to yourself? Oh, I, I, he would have killed me. So at 14, I told him the time, I guess I didn't associate. I said, you stop this. I'm going to tell. I said, you, you can't, you can't tell. Nobody's going to believe you. You're a liar. I go, really? I'll run away. Now, this is a big one. Oh, yes. He said, I'll find you anywhere in the world and I will kill you. And I believe that I carried this with me until therapy years later in New York. Okay, so this was 14, 15, 16 with these beautiful people. In the meantime, uh, taking care of my mother, bootlegging, uh, waitress, cooking, take all of it. Okay, talk about strength that I know where that comes from today more than ever and the courage. But the one thing for me, my siblings weren't hungry. Okay, because I worked, I fed them. I was 15 or whatever. Then. 16, 17, 16 years old come, my friend Andrea, I go out with her, another incredible gift that was given to me, that particular night, I go out with her, and I, and we live next door, and I could see my father in the kitchen downstairs waiting for me all night long, I was his property, you see, so we had gone out, I ran away, I had to run away to go out and have fun sometimes, I go home the next day, and he calls me a whore because he was waiting for me, right? Because I would. So I screamed at him and I told him how much I hated him for the first time. And do you know, there you go. For some reason at that moment, I knew how much of a coward he was. And I knew I was leaving. And I knew I was leaving and changing country, changing language. All of this, I knew all of this inside. And I would know when. And this was as real as we sitting here. 
So that gave me hope mm-hmm. to keep going until that time came. Mm-hmm. It was another big pivotal, and I knew. Mm-hmm. He comes 18 years old, I meet my husband. Get married at 19, come to New York. So my life in Canada, my life with my siblings and everything ended when I was 18. Physically, obviously, very much disassociated. I couldn't leave my siblings and feeling all of this. I I could not, I would not have been able to. Mm -hmm. I got out of that hell. And I knew inside of me, I was going to meet somebody, but he wasn't going to speak French. I didn't speak English. So now from 16, correct? So 16 to 18, I knew this. And the day that I met Peter, his name was, I knew now it's time for you to leave. Do you know that my mother, when I told her I was getting married, she looked at me, she said, yes, it's time for you to leave. Can you imagine? Now, now your mother obviously put so much of her emotional needs into you, Mm -hmm. was asking you unconsciously to carry her life. Now that you were leaving, what did she do? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden now she had strength or the children were old enough now? No, they weren't. My little brother was four or five and my mother had a major heart attack. She almost died. This woman, do you see, she could not. No one, no one in this world can live this kind of abuse and survive it. Nobody, nobody. And that woman was beaten emotionally, physically, raped. Oh, how could she? How could she not? But you, you, you lived that also. I did. I did. And I lived it. She lived it. And you both had Uh tremendous faith. Right. I, but you see, when I left, I felt very guilty. Sure, of course. Right. So Makes now, all, sense. Right. all these people are there. I'm leaving with incredible memories and love and being loved by my relatives, being loved by my friends. I love my country. I love my, my language, but I got to hate it. I didn't want to speak this language sure. because it brought back all that. I always, always went back once a year to visit at least, and I still do. I still love and connect with my people, you know, and over my healing time. Once you left, what did your father, uh, was your father still continuing that same abuse? I, you know, my sisters, I don't know. I, I suspect because people like that don't stop. Don't stop at one person. Well, that's why I'm asking that. Right. And also the same abuse with your mother. Right. So I, I, like I said, you know, I needed to take care of, I couldn't go there. It was too overwhelming, you know? So I, so when I left and uh, so anyway, so I leave all these beautiful people behind, but I, I left that help to save my life. And again, the courage, the strength, the fate, but boy, did I leave with full of hate. Man, did I hate these people. I oh, bet. My, this right. was my energy. You would I, have to have. Oh, I didn't. Uh, detesting and hating. Yeah. I could tell you, boy, I know what that's like. And yes. You would hate to. In order to move into forgiveness, yes. you have to first experience the depth of your own hate. 
Ah, I you would have to. Yes, that makes yeah. that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and it was Wonderful. not only them; yeah. it was me. So we we're yeah. going to be taking a a, a break okay. in about thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. So we look forward to returning um, for more of um, your journey mm. of a uh, hundred pennies, and we'll be right back uh, with a journey through and gate ten ma ten. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We'll be right back. Thank you. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back with Dr. George Andow, A Journey Through with Gaitan Matan. <laughs> so Gaitan, um, you were talking about when you left and came to New York and we were looking at how you have to be, deal with your hate and allow yourself to experience whatever's inside of us we have to experience in order to clear the decks so that we can have a healing. Otherwise, we're trying to put forgiveness on top of hate and it doesn't work. You know, something though that I find interesting and we were looking at this before because you had mentioned about that you know God put a lot of angels in your life and uh, absolutely, um, God absolutely does that and magnificent. And that your mother had that too. 
you know, I, I would just love to, and I don't expect you to answer this. I would just love to know what went on in mom's very early years for her to have created, chosen the husband that she did and create um, the life that she did uh, that uh, really put you and all the children in. No criticism. It's just fascinating. When we look at our families, there's never any criticism. We look at it as a way for us to grasp in a more depthful way how it affected us as the children grown up and brought up in that. But my point here, um, I'm sorry to be so long-winded with it. Both you and your mom had the same amount of trauma. You were able to deal with it with strength. Your mother um, didn't, ha- didn't seem, didn't seem to have the same amount of strength. And what I want to say about that to our listeners is when you are, because you said you had mentioned Gaetan that your mom was brought up with uh, wealth and, you know, some affluence in education. When your mom being brought up in an environment where she was taken care of well, that many times takes away from the child becoming an adult ability to really be strong and fight for themselves and stand up and build something for themselves. That power, you know, yes, God gives us that, but you see, you were born in this. So from the very time you were a little girl pre-talking, you had, you had to develop that level of, continued power that God gave you. You had to build it to survive. And that's the big difference between you and your mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say. So I just wanted to mention that to the listeners, um, just to maybe give some clarity to that. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, yes, Gaetan. So we were talking about the hate. Mm -hmm. Well, I... um... So I left and I, of course, I didn't feel it because it was disassociated, but it was there. I mean, it was all, you know, disassociation eventually along your life. You get to see that it's nothing ever goes away. What happens, you right. act it out. You don't know what the heck you're acting out anymore. Right. So what must I, have been angry. You must have been very angry. Oh, it came out all over the place. Absolutely. I wasn't afraid of anything. And I lived in in New York City. Absolutely. Right. So what happened? So when I left there, which I want to talk a little bit about my healing journey, that how it started there was, oh, my goodness, I get married and we lived in Brooklyn and I don't speak English. And I just, just love these Brooklyn people and they love me and they can't. Men, they can't uh, pronounce my name, and they can I can we call you gay? Can we call you Frenchie? And I couldn't tell them what the heck, no, no, and why not? Because I didn't speak enough English, so I wind up to be Frenchie in a hey Frenchie, you know, like that. So that's how I learned to speak English. It was in Brooklyn, and uh, you know, and to this day I do um, I do a humor contests that I usually win with this story. One of one of my Brooklyn story. So the fun, and I was finally free out of that hell physically, and I was having fun as a young person because I never had it, and I was 19. And, you know, 
after all the fun, the few years, I went into Manhattan. I got a job right away. Worked bilingual. I I took subways. I had no idea. I I just went. I mean, I had incredible courage, and I and I believe I could do all that. Yeah. No, nothing could hurt me here because it already had hurt me there. Absolutely. So, anyway, so I um, the nice part was now I have all this fun, and then I have my daughter, my beautiful daughter in Brooklyn beautiful oh my gosh my heart and things started inside weren't going away nothing was going away and it was getting worse and now I'm trying religion and I'm trying all kinds of things and nothing is working and now I'm angry now I'm hateful now this is all coming on the surface. And of course, I don't know why I'm so hateful. And I know it's taken away from my spirit. So I meet this woman, short, long story short, because I, I want everybody to know this. I meet this lovely lady. And my ex-husband was an alcoholic. And I didn't know because he only drank beer, so I thought. And this woman, Rita, Rita tells me. She's and this is the man that you were married to at this right. time? He's right an alcoholic. Now, the, okay. And Not he, now in the present, but back then in Brooklyn. Then, right, in Brooklyn. Okay. So I meet this beautiful lady, and then she tells me about Al-Anon. Al-Anon, what is that? Well, it's for families of alcoholics. I said that. That's how I spoke. The hell with this. I'm not sitting with anybody talking about alcohol, because that's what I thought it was. Long story short, I go, I finally I went into Al-Anon. They used to call me firecracker. I was explosive everywhere from all that stuff all those years. From uh, you talk about God and God opening doors, and in my life, every single door to my healing journey has been open since. This was 1982. I went to Al-Anon. I met this beautiful lady that told me about this incredible therapist that I disclosed sexual abuse to, Ramona Crediotis, in my book I talk about. That woman saved my sanity, saved my life. Ramona was a gentle giant, a gentle, beautiful human being, and, and also as a therapist. Yes, and I just want to mention, because we have so much here, so much incredible uh, material to that I'd love to cover. We have about three minutes till the end of the show. Oh boy. Okay. So I know. Oh so boy. I just want to just mention that. Okay. And I just want to say a, probably a two second prayer. So go, go okay. ahead. So then from there, I, everything, uh, therapy, talk therapy, art therapy, groups, workshops, writing, drawing, talking, uh, Everything in the world I could do. My, I went to see a spiritual person that helped me to heal my soul. I finally got to heal, to forgive my father. I was able to see that little flicker of flame in him that he became a human being as well. That's why a journey to forgive the unforgivable. So I did. And then I met this beautiful man, Jim, that we're together today. I never thought in my life I could ever meet anybody decent but I am, and Jim and I are together for nine years. I live in this beautiful place here in Northport. I, uh, I I just have a beautiful, peaceful, loving life. That I that is the life that I knew was. This is where 
like I said, like you said, I could go because there's so much. I do believe in a Holy Spirit that have guided me from the very Absolutely. beginning. I turn back and I see all of it now. Everyone. So my two, I have two boys that I love so much. My two boys, they're just sweethearts. My three kids, blessings, gifts, um, and beautiful friends. And still my beautiful. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, um, Gaetan, you know, one of the things that drew me so much to you so quickly, besides the fact of uh, anyone who is wounded and works their way through it, to me, is an exceptional human being because we're all wounded and we all struggle. And you were willing to t- tell the truth about it. But our, our uh, very early on years, uh, are similar. Um, perhaps maybe uh, you come back on the show at some point. Yes, absolutely. Right? absolutely. I want to thank you for tonight. Thank you. Um, really incredible. And I'd like to just uh, end in prayer, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, great love. Thank you for living and loving in us and through us. May all that we do flow from our deep connection with you and all living beings. Help us become a community together, collective consciously, that vulnerably shares each other's burdens and our weight of glory. Listen to our hearts longing for the healing of the world. And knowing that you are hearing us better than we are speaking, we offer the prayers of our hearts with love in all of the holy names of God. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much, Gaetan. God bless. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Next week, we have an incredible show, um, similar of what we're talking about tonight. But we're talking about hidden woundedness and how many ways that our woundedness can hide. And it's about a physical journey and body image. So we thank you so much for always journeying with us. God bless. And we love you. Gaetan. Thank you so much for you. I look forward to speaking to you soon. We'll do this again. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Always. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, 
and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a curious person, always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you listeners looking to boost your business. Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 